I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to have today's amazing guest on my podcast, Beauty Bosses. We have Mosh Wanunu, who is an amazing award-winning journalist who's actually won a Webby, an Emmy, and like a bunch of other awards, actually. And he's also the president and founder of Mo News, a Moreau Award. What else did you win? Yeah, oh, oh, a whole bunch. But what matters is that I'm on the podcast Give, today. Yeah, what, the, the top of his CV is that he is a guest on Beauty Bosses. So it's going to bump all the rest of that stuff down. Exactly. Um, but you did have a very august journalism um, resume pr- prior to this part of your resume um, on my podcast. Um, but you were at Fox News. You, you've covered a lot of, uh, a lot of ground in your career. Yeah, I mean, it actually started as a kid. I always I wanted to be a journalist. Oh, like, really? Starting from a very young age. My, like how my, young? Five years old. My parents like to tell the story that we used to live uh, in an apartment just outside Chicago in the suburb of Morton Grove above a Baskin Robbins ice cream shop. And my parents used to give me a couple quarters to go downstairs and get an ice cream cone. And they remember me in first grade coming back with a copy of the Chicago Tribune instead of ice cream. And so, like, from a very young age, I loved, you know, figuring out what was happening in the world and the news, watched the local news. I wrote letters to the local weatherman in Chicago, and actually, we ended up getting a tour of the weather studio. Oh, my God. Um, And again, this is in first grade, so I draw, like, world maps with capitals and flags from my kindergarten teacher and my first grade teacher, and they're like, we don't know what to do with these. (laughs) But, like, so from a very young age... I was interested in the world, interested in geography. For a while, wanted to be a weather person, meteorologist. And so that evolved over time. I tried to start a newspaper in fifth grade for the middle school. And then eventually, when there was a newspaper, like in high school, was an editor there, and then so on and so forth. Oh, my God. For those of you who don't have parents, it's highly atypical to give your kids ice cream money and have them <laughs> come back with a major metropolitan newspaper. That would be unusual behavior it, it was it's a I was, green flag it's a green flag i was an unusual child yes that's yeah. so cool though and then so, okay so you were doing all this newsy stuff geography meteorology high school newspaper and then what happened after that so i wanted to go where the action was so i ended up applying and getting into george washington university in dc which happens to be just a couple blocks from the White House, a couple blocks from the State Department. So I was like, this is the coolest place yes, to be going to college. So cool. And um, inevitably joined the college newspaper, um, do several internships, mm-hmm. um, and thought, you know, it's funny, part of my fascination was also through television shows. So there was a show growing up called Murphy Brown that was like depicts I don't a. Know about Murphy Brown. Right, so you remember, so like, I think yeah. I, I, if you're of a certain age, you remember Murphy Brown on the early 90s. And they depicted like an evening news show. Yeah. I was probably the only middle schooler who like aspired to be the producer on the show, Miles Silverberg. <laughs> but I was. Actually, I got to meet the actor at one point. I was like, you know, you were my inspiration when I, when I was 10 years old. And then I became fascinated with the West Wing. And so I was into politics and, and that. So going to D.C., I was like, well, you know, I might go into politics. I might go into journalism. But this is the place to figure it out. So I got an internship on Capitol Hill. Um, and interestingly enough, the first day of my internship on Capitol Hill, my sophomore year of college, was 9-11. Oh I got there God. early enough that we evacuated the Capitol because at the time, and still they're not sure whether that fourth plane was headed towards the U.S. Capitol. But evacuate, get back to campus, uh, phones are down, I send an AOL instant message to my mother being like, I'm okay. And the first phone call that comes through on the phone line is the college paper being like, where are you? This is a big story. I'm like, oh, you're right. So that day I'm you know, covering the the impact of the terror attacks and the closures around D.C. on the college campus. And I was like, all right, this is this is where I'm at. Like, you know, being able to cover major events um, is interesting, intriguing. And so I ended up uh, being able to get an internship at ABC News and then at Fox News and then was able to uh, turn that internship into a full time job at Fox. And that happened to be the first place I started working at uh, out of college. Wow. And how long were you at Fox News? About five years. Uh, one of the jobs I had there uh, was as a campaign reporter. So they, the networks, uh, 
if you're not familiar, will assign typically a group of very young uh, producers in their early to mid-20s willing to basically give up their lives for a year and follow around presidential candidates. And they'll assign them. They call them embedded reporters, Mm -hmm. embeds. And so I was assigned to the presidential campaign initially of Rudy Giuliani. In 2007, Rudy Giuliani was the leading candidate to be the next Republican president. He had 50% of the polls. Um, John McCain at the time had like 2%. At that same time, by the way, Hillary Clinton in 2008 was leading. Uh, A young senator named Barack Obama had about 4% of the polls. But it shows you how these campaigns evolve. So I'm now traveling with Rudy Giuliani for about five months as he bounces from event to event in New Hampshire, in Iowa, in Florida. This is still very early. Like I'm printing out MapQuest maps. Like Google Maps ain't working. There aren't smartphones yet. It just really shows you the evolution of technology. So I spend months doing that. Um, Of course, Giuliani was not to become president and he wasn't to become the nominee. John McCain becomes the nominee. So then I follow around McCain and Sarah Palin for a year. And again, I'm on their plane and we're flying around the country and it takes me to 49 states. And uh, we, you know, I watched the trajectory of that campaign, which is fascinating. And of course, 2008 was also the stock market collapse. I mean, that campaign was a fascinating. It would get more interesting, obviously, in more recent years, but that was a fascinating campaign. So follow around that. I'm with uh, Fox for a few more months through the Obama transition, get to ride on Air Force One, get to cover uh, Congress at the time, trying to fix our economy. And then I moved to Bloomberg Television and I moved to New York to cover global finance and sort of like the the aftermath of the financial collapse of 08 and 09 and got to run international news coverage. So that then took me abroad and got to go to places like, you know, Dubai, Brazil, uh, covered the uh, nuclear disaster and earthquake in Japan, Fukushima, hung out for a month in the, the Gulf for the BP oil spill, some domestic stuff, but it was basically gave me a lens on kind of how the global economy works. Did that for a couple of years and then went over to CBS News to help launch uh, CBS, what would become CBS This Morning with Gail King, uh, Charlie Rose, and then Nora O'Donnell at the time. Um, did that for a couple of years, uh, going back, running politics coverage and kind of day to day. And morning shows are everything, right? Morning shows, you're doing, you're starting with politics at 7 a.m. And by the time you get to 8 a.m., you're doing beauty, right? You know, yeah. you're, you're trying to get a sense of the stories that are most interesting and most important for two hours every morning for a national audience. And you're trying to figure that out. And there's a lot happening in the world. And so it's synthesizing that. And then I moved over to digital and was helping CBS launch 24 hour channels on what a new, you know, new things like Roku and Apple TV. So really trying to be at the kind of precipice of the technology. And then uh, for almost two years around the CBS evening news. And this is like the broadcast that started, you know, more than 70 years ago. Walter Cronkite used to anchor it. There was a time in America where, you know, 60, 70 million people would watch it. By the time I was running the CBS Evening News, we had about six or seven million people watching it. Still not insignificant. About 20 to 25 million Americans are still watching one of the three channels, ABC, CBS, or NBC at night. Um, And so uh, that I was with CBS until 2019 when I decided to go out on my own. Okay, wow. So that is a lot of newsiness. It's, um, it's all, <laughs> I like that descriptor, newsiness. Um, so why did you decide to leave these established news networks and go out on your own? A variety of things. I think that first and foremost, it is a grind working in 24-7 news. Um, actually, you know, one of the reasons I left, I was like, you know, I've had my fill of job as life. You know, when you sign up for a job, you know, I was describing the experience of traveling around the country, you know, following around a presidential candidate, you know, where you spend 250 nights in a Marriott courtyard and, you know, you, you're not home for months on end. Now that, you know, became less of an issue through the various jobs, but at the same time, you are, you know, constantly responding sort of like a firefighter of sorts to just things that are popping up. So no matter whether it's July 4th, Christmas, three in the morning, something's happening in the world and you've got to be responsive to it. And I think I was just kind of exhausted by that um, and wanted to try something new. And I didn't quite know what that was, but I knew that it's sort of that point in my career, now in my late 30s, have done this more than 15 years, that I, I needed to at least take a break, take a breather to figure out what should come next. And so you started your consulting firm at that time. Right. So I, I um, within a couple months, realized that 
I've learned a few things during my time in journalism, and some of those tools and skills are things that I can apply uh, and help other companies with while operating independently. So I launched Mo Digital to help uh, brands and media companies uh, work on content, work on social, uh, basically tell their story. Mm-hmm. And did you know at that time that social media was going to become such a large part of what you do? Or was it more a strategic decision where you thought you were going to help behind the scenes and um, be truly a, a pure consultant? The, the latter, right? I thought that um, I was going to just apply what I learned at Fox, at Bloomberg, at CBS. In particular, at CBS, I helped launch streaming channels. So, you know, how can I help brands with their video strategy? How can I, with my knowledge of what happens inside newsrooms, help you with your rollout saying, you know, I'd, I'd love to figure out how I can get a segment on this morning show or on a cable news show. And I'm like, well, this is how that world operates. So I thought I could apply that. As far as living and breathing social media, I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. And was it the pandemic that made you realize that? Or how did you become Mo News, the Instagram personality? Because that's sort of how we connected and how I think a lot of people know you these days. Yeah. So Mo News doesn't exist until March of 2020. Yeah. So I'm consulting um, and I'm really only consulting for, you know, a little over six months before COVID hits, before the world shuts down. And there wasn't much consulting to be done at that point. Everyone sort of froze everything. And so like many people, I find myself at home, like watching the news. And doctor, it was the first time a major news event was happening that I wasn't in a newsroom for. And I didn't know how to cope, right? Like I'm used to, in a newsroom, I have 20 television sets and I have live feeds coming in from around the world and I have reporters and I just have constant flow of information. And now I'm watching this event unfold. And like everybody else, I'm like, wait, who do I believe? Like what's happening here? Um, and I'm going to all my sources and I, you know, the only way, the best coping mechanism I found was to report. Like that's how I found I'm best at interpreting information and then, you know, synthesizing it for myself and, Maybe it's useful to do it for somebody else. And so, you know, one memory of this that where it sort of clicked is, uh, you know, I never really used Instagram for more than just like photos of my family, you know, like most people until about 2020, photos of my family and like things I like and vacations and that sort of thing. And it's early March, 2020, my then girlfriend, now wife, gets a text from a friend saying they're gonna shut down all the bridges to New York. You're gonna be trapped in New York City. I was like, well, that's insane. That is not something that will happen, even in this rare situation. And so I take to Instagram, because I feel like Twitter is a nasty place. And I take to Instagram, where my close friends and family are at the time, a couple hundred people. And I put out, I was like, guys, please be careful about misinformation. And, you know, just sharing random text messages you're getting. By the way, that text about shutting bridges, they've linked back to Chinese intelligence. It was foreign, you know, it was, in certain cases, Foreign, for, uh, foreign governments were trying to sow chaos. So like I reached out to a friend at NYPD and reached out to a friend at the Department of Homeland Security. And they're like, please tell people to calm down because misinformation can create chaos, can create riots. Yeah. So I do it on Instagram. And my, my wife is, you know, to make a long story short, she's like, you got to do this for everybody. Like you're doing this for 500 friends and family. Like people need your information. They don't know what to make of the Fauci briefing and the Cuomo briefing and the Trump briefing and the whatever. So I start to use Instagram stories, and I like Instagram stories because it's the last place where you can tell a story in order. Everything else is algorithmic in social media, right? Yes. They're just feeding you. Chronology is everything, right? Chrono- right. It makes and, it make sense. And make it make sense in order. And on Twitter, it's an algorithm. On Instagram, it's an algorithm. But on stories, it's this, and then that, and then that in order. And so I start to do that. I open up the account, and suddenly I go from 500 to 1,000, 1,000 to 2,000. Um, it keeps going, going, going. And you're and at, at 300,000. We're at like 340,000 as we you know record this today. And the summer of 2020, and I thought this was only be temporary. I was like, all right, this is fun. I got some following. What's the next job? And then I get a, a tag one day that Joe Jonas is promoting me. Like Joe Jonas, the singer, uh, <laughs> tells his entire following of millions of people, follow this guy for news. Unprompted. Never discussed anything with him before. And I was like, whoa, 
this is real. Yeah, that's like cool. people are finding me somehow. Yeah. Like there is a, a value in what we're trying to do in terms of how I'm trying to break stories down on Instagram. Yeah. I think that that's the major problem with information and really the internet era these days is it's not the lack of information. For a long time, when we were growing up in the 90s, it was a lack of information because the internet was just in its infancy and you couldn't get all the stuff you needed to get. The data just wasn't there. Now it's a glut of information and there's information overload. And the problem is sorting through the information and figuring out what is credible and what is trustable and how to interpret the masses and masses of info coming in through all these different channels. And so I feel like authority and credibility has enjoyed a new renaissance because we don't know how to sort through all of this stuff on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and, you know, forget about all these news channels. But I wanted to ask you a question, and this is a little bit of a more philosophical question. I think a lot of people wonder this. But as somebody who's not a professional journalist, but who likes to consume news, I think a lot of people like me feel that different news channels have different political personalities. Mm -hmm. And um, I have always wondered if this is publicly, you know, publicly a thing at a given station. Like, you know, is Fox News openly, you know, do, do do these places have open open spins and is this something how transparent are they with their spin yeah and and how how transparent is this and is this an open agenda or a closed agenda or um and not just fox but every channel cnn msnbc abc cbs but do all of these news stations you know as someone who has been on the inside of them do they have a kind of ethos that they communicate to journalists that this is how you're supposed to interpret the world for our news channel. So each of them operate differently. It's actually why I, you know, frustrated sometimes by the word the media. Well, the media told me, I was like, well, the media is made up of tens of thousands of entities, right? And they all have different philosophies. Some are open with their philosophy. Some are transparent about it. And what's interesting is if you look at the history of media in America, it wasn't until relatively recently that media was purporting to all be objective. Like the partisan press starts before we even had a republic. You know, Alexander Hamilton had a newsletter, Thomas Jefferson had a newsletter. Like the political parties, they were they had political spins, they had agendas. And this would last for many years. And then you sort of finally get into the 20th century where they're like, nope, we just cover the news, the news that's important, the news, like no spin. And for the most part, you know, some of the names you mentioned will say, no, we just report the facts with no agenda. Okay. Now, some of these networks, like the cable news networks you mentioned, clearly have commentators who have a specific political bent, right? And they'll say that those networks will tell you, well, we cover the news, but then we have, you know, in the evenings, we have partisan commentators, right? Right. And they'll claim that, like, that's where the partisanship is. It's not all day long. It's just those people. And, you know, Fox will tell you that. MSNBC will tell you that. That, like, yeah, no, Tucker Carlson has opinions. But, like, during the day, when we cover the news, we cover the news. Now, ultimately, you know, you can read between the lines in terms of the stories that are emphasized, um, the how they're covered, the, the photos that they're using, the videos that they're using, the length of time they're giving to certain stories. I mean, we see charts, you know, like if you look at a chart of how often crime in cities was mentioned on the cable networks in 2022, ahead of the election, Fox was covering crime in cities and every crime in cities 200% more than the other networks, yeah. vice versa, right? Or trans issues. Um, and then you see on CNN or, um, or MSNBC, you know, you track uh, use of the word race or use of certain words and they're covering that hundreds of times more than another network. So within each newsroom, there are decisions to be made, editorial decisions of what to cover. Now they'll tell you, we're just covering the news. Now some of that speaks to the personal biases of the people making those decisions. Some of that speaks to the kind of culture of the organization. Some of that speaks to the strength of the organization, what they're good at covering. Um, But, you know, there's a whole spectrum of this and I would advise people if you have a chance and you're curious about just actual data, there's um, a group, there's, 
there are two groups that do this. There's um, one called All Sides Media, and you can actually go to their website and you can see like farthest left to farthest right, and they track use of certain phrases and and they can oh, actually they're actually trying to apply data to bias. Mm -hmm. Then there's another group called Adfantes, A D F O N T E S, and they actually run uh, an X Y chart uh, of media. Uh, from left to right, from partisanship, from most liberal to most conservative. But then the y-axis is interesting, from top to bottom, most reliable, least reliable. So then you see a whole spectrum of like left-leaning, but not reliable, left-leaning, but very reliable, same thing on the right, uh, and same thing on who's center. And they're actually trying to apply, um, in some cases, you know, algorithms, AI, to like run numbers of transcripts to try to get a sense of bias. Mm -hmm. How deep-seated do you think that is? Because I think even in some of the most progressive-minded publications, you've, I personally see so much evidence of deeply entrenched bias in the way news is reported. And it's stuff that maybe I wouldn't have noticed five years ago or 10 years ago, or certainly not 20 years ago, but maybe the older and more cynical and jaded I get, the more I pick up on this. And it is just, it shocks me sometimes because, I mean, after all, and I wonder actually as a side question, how, how you do this on your own Instagram channel and your own news channels, because, you know, selection is really a form of censorship. When you're Correct. choosing news stories, you are not choosing other stories. And, you know, when you phrase a story with a certain turn of, phrase and describe it using adjectives X, Y, and Z instead of A, B, and C, the connotations and tone and feelings that you create in a person mm -hmm. can make it lean one way or the other. And so are there any things that, first of all, do you see this when you read even progressive minded all stuff? All the time. And then second of all, yeah. what do you do to, to not do this, hopefully? Well, I mean, listen, I think that, you know, one of the places I turn to that I would advise people to turn to that I think does the best job with the least amount of bias tends to be the business press. Because think about it, whether it's Bloomberg, CNBC, Financial Times, people are making million dollar, billion dollar decisions based on the information they're reading. So they just want the facts with as little bias as possible. So sometimes I'll turn to the financial publications for just like what happened here without, you know, that extra superfluous stuff. You know, there's a there's a phrase that you'll often see in stories that you might read where it's like blah 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 happened today, comma, amid something else. And that like amid line and there's obviously other words you can use there is sometimes the first evidence of an injection of a of a slant or perspective. Oh, it's such BS. This happens all the time. And I mean, let me just insert yeah. my perspective as a woman who works in a very male-dominated field. Sure. But I have to tell you, every time I'm interviewed by the major news media, and I'm talking like New York Times, Wall Street Journal, there is not a time I'm interviewed about literally a surgical topic where mm -hmm. I am not asked my age. And often when I'm described, it's like, you know, Dr. Lara Devgan, comma, age, comma, some descriptor about some dumb thing like, you know, wearing a floor length teal dress. Yeah. And it is like so ridiculous. So, I mean, some of that just arcane style stuff that existed for years ago and just hasn't. So yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there was a, a couple of years ago, I mean, I almost canceled my New York Times subscription. It's the paper I've been giving my money to the longest since I was literally a kid, mm -hmm. right out of college. Um, a couple of years ago, I got interviewed by the New York Times for some new neuromodulator that hit the market. And um, the photo that they ran of me was literally of me in a swimsuit. And like, you know, what? that photo was screen grabbed from my Instagram. Yeah. And it, okay, I guess I was stupid enough to post it. Um, but alongside many photos of me wearing white coats standing in front of walls of diplomas and books mm -hmm. and as one of very few women standing in a field like this it's just like what a journalistic decision and that was i mean i ran in the style section so go figure I, I, but like I, that is just such a like sleazy below the belt decision and yeah i i mean i will tell everyone this as you think about bias or as you read publications like any other job out there, 
there are good journalists and there are bad journalists, right? Like you can hire a good plumber or a bad plumber, a good doctor or a bad doctor. Yeah. And so I'd be very careful before painting an entire organization. No, no, no. I no. still subscribe. Don't oh, worry. no, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm, no I, I, I'm no advocate here for the New York Times. I mean, they do do some good reporting. But what I would say is this, okay. you know, sometimes Love I'll... Love you, NYT. <laughs> but call some... me, call me. I'm still Yeah, she, she'd like a comp uh, subscription <laughs> moving forward. So, but, but, but what Above I would say... the fold. <laughs> With the suit next to <laughs> what, what I would say is this. No, because sometimes I see people being like, I can't believe they ran that story. I'm counting. And I'm like, okay, but like... What about the 200 more interesting, you know, more important stories that they've run? Or, like, maybe it just happened to be, you know, like, sometimes people ascribe bias to just complete, um, you know, people just being bad at their job, being ineffective at their job. You know, it's one of the things I tell people all the time when they see stuff happening with the government. They're like, oh, that's like, you know, that was intentional. Like, they're, and I was like, no, that's just them being completely ineffective and not knowing what they're doing. Yeah. And so like journalists, that happens in media organizations. Um, as far as, you know, one of the, some of the things you describe is just speaks to the fact that we've all become much more savvy consumers of the media. We now have a million options, literally, of where to get our information. And traditional media, in some cases, is one of the reasons why I'm happy doing my own thing hasn't evolved effectively for that. I mean, there's still this arcane thing that certain papers do where second reference, they refer to everyone as Mr. You know, like yeah. Mr. Trump, Mr. Biden, mm -hmm. as second. And you're like, okay, like, is that necessary? But that's a tradition, it's a traditional thing. Um, but does that speak to, you know, how we're consuming things these days? And there's a lot of like, a lack of transparency that the media organizations don't explain why they're doing what they're doing or how they're doing what they're doing. And, and to your point earlier about selection, you know, when, when I was running the CBS Evening News, we had, once you take our commercials, 20 minutes every night. Okay. Such a short time and so much happens. Do you know how many stories I can tell the country in 20 minutes? About 12. Okay? Yeah. 12 stories. So now the entire world, you know, has a million stories happening. Good, many good stories, but we don't get to the good stories typically. Many bad stories here, abroad, around the world. We have limited resources and limited time and like, okay, what are the 12 and, you know, I, somewhere between 10 and 14 stories. I'm telling America, by the way, the longest of those stories, we might spend two minutes on, two and a half minutes if like it's really important. But most stories are about 45 seconds. I'm telling you the Middle East in 45 seconds. I'm telling you about COVID in 45 seconds. I'm telling you about, you know, race issues in 45 seconds. I'm, telling, I'm trying to explain crime in four, like that's, that's the complexity of that and that's why on social media some other other places you do have the platform to be able to dive deeper into this stuff it's an amazing power to be able to teach people about problems and news it's really incredible you know when you think about the sheer magnitude of foundational knowledge that you have to communicate in order to tell a story as complex as what's going on in the Middle East or like what's going on in Ukraine. And you yeah. have to explain the whole backstory and then the news of the day. And and in 30 seconds or less, I mean, that's wild. You, you can't do it. You can't do yeah. it. Like I was just trying to dive deep today before we record this podcast into the Adderall shortage. Yeah. And to like even explain, you know, why we're there. There's so many layers to that story. It's not as simple as just a supply chain issue, right? The DEA is cracking down on, on amphetamines. You know, you have multiple companies dealing with issues. You have an overprescription issue. You had a telemedicine issue during COVID. And how are you going to do that in 45 seconds on the news or even in one New York Times story? I mean, even in the New York Times story, you know, we keep mentioning the Times here. Why, you know, name your publication. You got to be able to devote yourself for several minutes to that story to be able to tell that. That requires the reporter to understand the complexity of that story. Understand that reporters, in some cases, are writing multiple stories a day. Sometimes they don't have the time to dive into that story. So, you know, ultimately, you have burnt out reporters trying to cover too many things because you have media companies. Now, understand the business case. Media companies aren't making as much on advertising as they used to. Newspapers used to make the majority of their money on classified ads. Craigslist killed that 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. They haven't overcome that. Now you have less people watching live events on network news, on cable news, so they're making less money off of that. So now they're gonna make more money out of digital. How are they gonna make money off of digital? Convince you to click on the story. How are they gonna convince you to click on the story? Make the headline really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And then I guess that's the origin of clickbait. There you go. And that's the oversimplification of all these nuanced topics into like, you know, 
the three things you should be doing for your laundry that you're not doing. <laughs> like, and there you have it. That's like news in a nutshell. Yeah. What do you think are the best ways to teach a complex topic to younger audiences? I'm the mother of six young children. And one thing that we talk about at the dinner table all the time is um, some of the things that my kids see in the news. And there are very challenging topics to explain to little kids, yeah. toddler to elementary school age kids. How do you, how do you break down challenging topics? I know you have some projects related to this that you were mentioning offline, but how do you talk about guns in schools? How do you talk about wars? How do you talk about, um, hunger, homelessness, social unrest how do you explain a presidential election like what are, what are your tips and tricks yeah you know i well i should say first and foremost uh got married a year and a half ago i'm not a father yet um uh, but looking forward to figuring this challenge out one thing uh, i'm working on our uh, our consulting firm mo digital is working on is building a daily a news app for um kids kind of ages 8 to 12. Uh, and we're actually at very preliminary stages. And actually, the, the question you ask is the question we're diving into right now with uh, child psychologists, right? How do you um, talk to kids about their world without scaring them unnecessarily, but without necessarily sugarcoating it either, right? Or ignoring things. You know, I think one of the challenges, um, speaking about this in broad strokes, is that like, you grow up and you're like, you learn about good and evil, right? Even in the characters, the Disney characters, right? This is a good person. This is a bad person. Because um, it's simple that way, you know, being able to literally put things in black and white that way. I mean, the first thing I would say, and this is explaining news to adults, is like the world is gray. The world is gray. Now, yes, there is, a, you know, there are people who do very evil things. But ultimately, as you dive into any of these stories, understand in the most important thing is to try to put yourself into the mind of both sides if there's two sides to a story you know i think uh there's the there's the story of the um um three little pigs mm -hmm. and the wolf and i think i forget the name of it but somebody wrote uh, a version of it from the perspective of the wolf yeah and you know, you completely, you're like, whoa, that's a really different take on that story because you've only heard the Three Little Pigs version of it. And so, you know, without diving too deep, you know, obviously some of these, some of the, you know, explain tragedy, you got to determine on your own as a parent, like how you want to dive into that, you know, how you explain to a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, a 12-year-old is going to be different. But, you know, one thing that I think is important is uh, on a few of these issues, is really just understanding perspective, right? Understanding, trying to communicate nuance um, and understanding, you know, I genuinely was interested in like a world out there. And I think just trying to explain to people that regardless of the environment you grew up in, that, you know, the world's a very complex, very different place. And I and I'm not answering. You know, I don't have a specific like three no, step no, strategy I'm to explain you it. Raise my kids for me in a nutshell. <laughs> Mo, I don't know why. Mo, how can I explain <laughs> these terrible things in the world? Um, you know, no, it's scary. It's, it's a, listen. It's scary times to be a parent when kids come home and they ask about a shooting in a school. It's it's, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's heartbreaking. heartbreaking. This is this is not the world we grew up in, right? Like my first experience with a school shooting was Columbine in 1998, and I was a junior in high school at that point, right? Yeah. And even then, it wasn't a weekly reality. I didn't have drills. The drills we had in suburban Chicago were for tornadoes, not for yeah. shootings. And the fact that you know kids now literally have devices that they can live stream from their classroom watching kids hiding in another classroom, this is the reality we live in. I know. And so unfortunately, we live in a reality where Cocooning your kids is nearly impossible because they're going to hear about it. They have the technology. So you're going to have to figure out how to address it with them in a way that, um, and by the way, it's not just school shootings, right? It's climate change. It's all these complex things that are like, well, you know, without, without ensuring that by the time they get to 18, they're so depressed about the world, they don't want to do anything about it. It's really wild. What I think is important, and this speaks to the bias thing, 
one thing that across the board all news organizations have is a bias towards negativity, a bias towards extremes. Because extremes are more interesting, they're louder, they happen to find the cameras easier, mm-hmm. and you tend to click on them because you, you either vehemently agree with it or you very much disagree with it. Somebody who is nuanced, who says, well, you know, this could happen and this could happen and like it's not as bad as people are saying, typically doesn't get much time. Typically that person, if it's you in a story, doctor, you're going to be quoted with the way end of the story. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dr. Devkin says, everyone's making a big deal out of nothing. <laughs> so I think... Not the poll quote moment. <laughs> like, I think that's the most important thing to communicate to kids is that like you're seeing these headlines, but you know that... You're not seeing the 50 other headlines about yeah. something good that happened today. Exactly. And I think that's the important thing. And that's where, that's my frustration. And even I find myself being like, oh, I was too negative today. There, was, there were good stories out there and I'll try to go out of my way. Do you know how hard it is to find good stories in the regular news? It yeah. is impossible. Well, you know what? I think that I've always thought that that's because the human condition is fundamentally good. And so what's newsworthy is Correct. the bad stuff. The, and so you the, just have to remember that as your, as your personal backstory. The, the, there's an old expression in news that dog bites man is not a headline, but man bites dog is a headline. Yeah. Right? A dog biting a person happens all the time. A person biting a dog? Now that's weird. We should learn more about it. So you're always going to cover man bites dog. You're not going to cover dog bites, man. You know, you're going to cover, you know, lightning strikes. You're going to cover people winning the lotto. You're covering rarities because, like, people are interested in those types of things. You know, like, there's an interesting statistic. I, I try every time there's some sort of negative airline story. I pull up the last 15 years of airline safety records in America. Hundreds of millions of people. One casualty in 15 years of flying with hundreds of millions of people flying, right? Airline safety has never been safer. But nobody covers today all the planes landed that, all the planes that took off landed safely and no one got hurt today. No, you hear about the story of turbulence. You hear about the story of the like, you know, near miss on the runway or whatever, which is so rare, so rare. Your odds of being in a situation like that is so rare, but we're conditioned in news to cover the rare event. And then you're conditioned to be like, oh my God, that's so scary. And the human mind anchors to the negative stuff and it's just how it is. Correct. <clears throat> how would you describe the zeitgeist right now? Like what is the spirit of the times of the year 2023? <laughs> you know, it's interesting because we're sort of like, I remember all the memes online about 2020, you know, yeah. and then they're like, oh, 2021, you're being just like 2020. Now 2022. Yeah. Like, you know, it's so hard to like, is there going to be a great year again? Um, you know, I think that there's a couple interesting trend lines that I think are happening, right? Like, I feel like for the most part, I mean, our economy is still dealing with the ramifications of, you know, COVID. Our society is still dealing with the ramifications. I mean, what what we as a global, you know, community experienced in 2020, we're going to be dealing with the effect of that for decades to come, Right. The kids, depending on the year of school that they missed, the adults for you know whatever changed, you know for me it, it was a pivot of my professional career, um, and everyone sort of had different experiences there, so it's hard to be like we're back to normal. But for the most part, I would feel like day to day I'm sitting here in an office with you, like there's no talk about masks and COVID tests and whatever. Like all right, certain things have gotten back to normal, but um, there's that. I feel like um, so that's society. Politics, you know, I continue, unfortunately, to feel more divisive, right? And uh, conflict. I just feel like people are frustrated with each other. And, you know, short, you know, the tempers are flared. And we don't have patience for each other anymore. And I don't know if that was just building. I know a lot of people like to point to the 2016 election as one point. But I feel like that was building over time. I feel like we're dealing really right now with the effects of now having more than 10 years of smartphones and social media. How is that affecting us? Um, and we were talking before the podcast started about, you know, our generation. Like, you know, I, I'm officially, I think they call us elder millennial or geriatric millennial if you're born in the early 80s. Um, you know, my, through sixth grade, my mother was like, you know, I would write my papers out on pencil and my, she would type them on a typewriter. And then we finally got a computer in high school. Like, it's a different era, right? I got my first cell phone in college. And got Facebook, you know, after college and, you know, social media, Instagram came in my early 30s, right? We're going to have a whole digital native population coming up here, what they're calling the alpha generation born after 2010 and the youngest Gen Zers who only know a world of social media, only know a world of cell phones. So how does that change? um, 
how they approach these matters. I mean, I hope they correct for our mistakes because we've created a whole bunch of stuff. You know, Mark Zuckerberg created Facebook in his dorm room and 20 years later, like, look what it's become. They also have this indelible digital footprint that they don't totally realize. And so I, in a way, I feel for them. Like all our mistakes were on little pieces of notebook paper that we passed to each other in school. And they're, you know, disintegrated in a trash can decades ago. And these kids, they're digital I mean, can you imagine? they're going to last forever. But can you imagine living in a world where, it's funny, like I wasn't invited to a party in high school. Like, I didn't know what was happening at that party. I just assumed the party sucks because, like, I wasn't invited. Like, now they're, like, seeing on Snapchat, like, what's happening at that party. They're getting messages from people. Like, just what the social media effect is, but also living in a world where every single action you take could be on camera somewhere, right? Somebody could just lift up camera, hit record, and whatever. Think about every mistake you've made or every misstatement that you've made or everything that you did that, like, you later regret. And it's like, now, you know, it could be out there in perpetuity. And that's, you know, I, I don't know, I, you know, the zeitgeisty is like a big general question. I was trying to figure out like various elements of it. But I just feel like, um, you know, I generally am wired hopeful. Even though I work in news, people ask me all the time, they're like, you would deal with so much negative stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I I try to figure out how a way to compartmentalize it. But but generally wired, like, I'm just like, I know we're going to get through it. I know we're going to figure it out because we've gotten this far as humanity. We're going to figure out some of these challenges. Yeah, we're going to break through. Okay, yeah. and then I only have time to ask you a couple more questions, but okay. I actually have a few important ones. Okay. Okay, what are the top five news stories right now that people, that like a good, educated American or citizen of the world should know about? All right, top five stories. Um, stories slash topics. Yeah, I think number one, I'm fascinated by it, is artificial intelligence, like chat GPT and AI. So cool. It's so cool. I've been messing around with using ChatGPT to write my Instagram captions. And they're pretty good. I, I, edit, I, I, I edit them lightly, but they're like pretty good in a pinch. I'll admit that I've started to play around with them for news stories, right? Like, you know, give me 300 words latest on what's happening in, you know, Ukraine today. You know what? I just suggest that you add, you know, comma in the voice of, I write, you know, explain a face and neck lift in the voice of Dr. Lara Devkin. Yeah. And I have enough digital content on the internet that wow. it literally will write it in my voice. And it is so cool because it sounds just like me. I mean, right. If you, I mean, if you're fortunate enough to have like a good digital footprint, then that's yeah, incredible. I bet you have enough digital content because you I'm, you speak so much online. I'm, 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 you know, listen, if, if, if it's able to access Instagram, then definitely, absolutely. So we'll see yeah. um, what comes of it. But I think artificial intelligence is a fascinating story of our time. You know, literally you have governments trying to catch up to it. Italy just banned ChatGPT because they don't know what to do with it yet. You have like Elon Musk calling for a six-month pause. Microsoft today said, we're not pausing anything. China is trying to figure out what to do. The White House is like, what are we doing with this? You know, have we created Frankenstein? Like, will this come, like, have we created something that we can't control at some point? And so I just think getting right in on that, the, you know, I know it's complicated in some cases, I think it's going to be a really important story to figure out. It's almost like, you know, last year, if I told you, or last couple of years, I told you about crypto, figuring out crypto. Like, I just feel like to be an informed person and understand kind of where things are going, but also if you're an entrepreneur, also if you're, you know, if you have some business ideas, there are going to be really compelling functionalities to AI. You know, if you're looking for some passive income opportunity, like somewhat so many people are going to figure out cool ways it's, it feels like the internet circa like early 90s like it's very raw we don't we know it's going to be a thing we just don't know how it's gonna what it's going to build into so i think that's one very okay, important I love story. It. um another story just generally to pay attention to globally um is just getting a sense of china and the u.s this is going to be a thing for a while like we had the Cold War between the U.S. and the Soviet Union between 1945 and 1991, we're sort of entering that period now between the U.S. and China. We're like already a digital there. Cold War. Digital Cold War. TikTok you know, yeah. well, it's it, it, it's digital. There's a lot of military exercises I happening know. around Taiwan today, but just getting a sense of that, yeah. um, and that's if you you run a business and you deal with China and you have a customer base there, or you're just a concerned citizen, just like. Being alert to stories about China and the U.S., but also not getting too scared, guys. Like the there's so much incentive not for us. There's people who throw around loosely. We're gonna go to war, or World War Three. Okay, there's 
the two largest economies in the world have a major incentive not to engage in that sort of thing. So just everyone take a deep breath. But I just think, generally speaking, you know, be familiar with what's happening there. Um, so those are two big things that are um, like I'm thinking about. What other? What are? So you asked me for five um, other stories that I'm I'm uh, interested in covering. I think you know being familiar with what's happening related to climate and water. You know our future. Things are going to change over the next few decades, and the science right now they're trying to figure it out. And this is something to keep in mind every time you see a climate change story. Typically, for simplicity purposes, the headline writers and the reporters covering it will pick what they think is the most interesting narrative. But like most scientists, there are always caveats, right? And so not every climate study or you know study shows that this is melting or this is, ri is written uh, equally accurately and not every study is done in the same way. So I think it's very important to um, follow those stories, read into the stories, um, and just be aware that like a lot of things are going to be happening in this world due to that. Like when you look at the immigration story, part of that's due to climate, right? Because several hurricanes just hit Central America, destroyed homes. Those people aren't rebuilding there. They're not happy. They're coming to America. They're coming to the U.S. So when you see a story, understand the interconnectedness of stuff. And in some cases, climate is a part of that. So I just think, you know, um, that's a story we should be watching. And I know people are across the spectrum. Regardless of what you feel is causing climate change, the climate is changing. Um, you know, it's not normal for Vancouver to be 120 degrees. You know, they don't have air conditioners up there for a reason. They never had to have air conditioners up there. It's not normal for Dallas to be freezing so often. Right. They don't have salt trucks. So we're going to see extremes. It doesn't mean that things change permanently. It just means that you're more likely to see once in a thousand year events, once every 10 years or once every five years. So our infrastructure has to adapt to that. So there's a lot of stuff there. So the climate story, I think, is really interesting. Um, the story we were talking about earlier, just social media, right? Yeah. Um, Changed the world. Yeah. I mean, it's changing the world. It's giving everyone the democratizing, you know, like your ability to tell your story, my ability to create a, a news brand on Instagram, something that didn't exist 10 years ago. Um, I wouldn't, you know, if I, when I was growing up, there's no Instagram. Like, I wanna, when I grow up, I want to do news on Instagram. It didn't exist. It didn't exist until I was in my 30s. So I think that um, just the evolution of social media and also the use of social media for good, right? I think that there's so much that um, can be done there. Um, and it, I think those are the, the big things. But, I mean, there's just so many stories to be tracking right now. I mean, obviously, one thing I'm tracking is just our politics um, and how things can get done. I think fascinating to watch right now. What's going to come out of, as we speak, unfortunately, there were two recent mass shootings in Kentucky and, and Tennessee. And there does feel like there's a momentum where even skeptics who didn't want to do anything feel like something does need to get done there. So I think in the short term, that's an interesting story to watch. And frankly, just, you know, people who are actually trying to bring the two sides together at a time where our system is built almost and we continue to drift away from each other. So that's a great answer. So now you guys can go to a cocktail party and be the smartest <laughs> one there. Thanks to Mo. And then my last question for you about news is, if you could only take one news source to a desert island, which news, not Mo News, one news mm -hmm. source besides, we all, we're all taking Mo News, but yes. something besides that, which news source are you taking? So this implies the desert island has Wi-Fi. It's a magic desert island. You can only bring one news source, and it does have Wi-Fi, but only for this reason. So it's so interesting because the vast majority of people probably are unfamiliar with it, but it is at the core of most newsroom. Uh, it's called the Associated Press, the AP. If you ever hear a reference to the AP or Associated Press, that is the wire service. It's been around for more than 100 years. Their job is to just get it first, get it right. Um, I typically see the least amount of bias to the extent possible these days in their reporting. If you go to apnews.com or you get the AP app, that to me is just like, just gives you the stories um, that you need to see. It's not exciting. It's not you know entertaining, but it's just the facts. It, it'll tell you on a hour by hour, minute by minute basis what's happening in the world. All right, so then when you're waiting for the rescue boat, you're just going to be reading the AP news. And the AP typically will have it first that the rescue boat is headed my way. <laughs> All right, there you go. Okay, 
Well, I am so happy that you were able to make it on the podcast. This was so fun to chat with you about everything related to the news in your journey. Um, Can you tell everyone where to find you and how to follow you and how to stay up to date on all the events of the world? Sure. So I have a podcast as well, the Mo News Podcast. We uh, put out a daily show Monday through Friday where we break down... Uh, you know, the day's most important and interesting news. I try to just give it to you straight and tell you what, you know, each side is saying, um, as long as each side is being honest on the story. Um, and then beyond that, Instagram is sort of the 24-7 feed, the Mo News Instagram feed, which is at Moshe, at M-O-S-H-E-H. Uh, and you can head over to mo.news, our website, to go uh, sign up for the newsletter and all our other various platforms. All right. Well, I can't wait to see what happens next. Thank you so much. Thanks, Doc.